Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. This is The Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr coming to you from these United States, broadcasted outside the Mercy One KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. This is the Uncommon Good, and it is wonderful to get to join you. I am Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. I am out here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Executive Vice President of the Newman Idea. You can check out both of those at uh, mchs.edu and the new uh, newmanidea.org. Bud, you're out there yonder in Pittsburgh. What do you do in Pittsburgh? Yeah, holding down the fort here in Pittsburgh, PA. I'm not right now in the offices of the National Institute for Newman Studies, where I normally spend my weekdays. But uh, you can find all, all, all about what we're doing at uh, the Newman Institute, newmanstudies.org. But it's good to hear from you. And uh, like I we said last time, uh, this is sort of radio show number two from a very different world. Uh, we want to throw out at the top of the hour that things like radio uh, hopefully have come to a new sort of importance in people's life because I know a lot of us, uh, you know, we're spending a lot more time home these days due to the national crisis. We're hoping that by providing something like the Uncommon Good, that you guys get to have uh, through the radio uh, a connection, a community with the wider community. And so we're very uh, happy and honored to be uh, Bud and I here, part of your community, helping you through what we're uh, facing together. So, um, Bud, I don't know. I, I've been seeing on the interwebs that people are really bearing down and, you know, using social media to show what they're up to during uh, the, the quarantine. How, do you have any uh, recipes or uh, <laughs> sewing, uh, you know, knick-knacky sort of things that you've done with all your new free time that you need to share. You know, it's funny, but we, we feel really blessed here in the sense that um, uh, our, our kids homeschool. So their schedule hasn't been too much disruptive and Rachel and I have been able to be with them a bit more. Um, and then of, of course I've been able to work from home a bit, but uh, honestly, I, I don't know about you, but this, this whole turn of events has me even like evaluating, you know, last week we got into, uh, maybe like how society is structured in ways that this recent crisis can have us rethink things. I'm like, man, it'd be really nice to have like a greenhouse and a garden and some canned goods in the pantry and things like that. So hopefully, hopefully I'll maintain that motivation after we're in the clear here at some point. Right. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I would suppose that all of the energy my kids currently have could be really used for churning butter. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't hardly trust them making toast currently. Uh, this is not true. Like uh, actually Stella, our, our oldest daughter, she's actually getting really good at cooking. Um, yeah. but the other ones, um, I'm not sure what we would end up if they were trying to be, uh, you know, the Bonner version of Amish, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting along. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, think that too. This is new for a lot of people. I will say being a homeschooler, uh, family, you know, they're not around that much more, uh, than, uh, they used to be, but, uh, we, we make sure to go, uh, drive around every so often, uh, just so that we can see something different than the inside yeah. of the walls. Well, 
as a as a trained theologian, uh, incidents like this always make me a bit nervous because you do sometimes, especially on social media, see things out there that are a bit unfortunate. Where I think those who have a public voice are trying to read the tea leaves, so to speak, like too precisely. But I think whenever, of course, we have trials or difficulties, hopefully we can ask, like, what what would God want me to draw out of this? Not is this the hand of God or, you know, like, can I discern exactly why this is happening? But um, like you said, turning butter, I'd recommend it, folks. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice. Speaking of uh, people who are going to be bringing good out of uh, the darkness of these days, yeah. uh, we want to once more praise everybody who is in the medical field. They're the front line of, of treating people who are facing this disease. And I know here in Iowa, it's been an honor to be a part of Mercy College of Health Science and even in our small way, although Bud and I have not trained them in any way to actually help people's health, so you should be assured that they're actually good healthcare providers. We have had mm. the chance to teach them medical ethics, uh, servant leadership, and we're very proud of them. So the underwriter of our show, Mercy College of Health Sciences, uh, mchs.edu. We've moved to online instruction, um, but we're going to, of course, be doing instruction coming up in the summer and fall. And no matter what's going on in this crisis, we'll be teaching the next generation of nurses and allied healthcare workers. So please, mchs.edu, go check that out. And again, thank you, Mercy College, for underwriting our show. Yeah, Bo, I know today we're going to try to pivot the conversation a bit and focus on, you know, something a bit brighter, um, you know, not to dwell too much on the difficulties, but just real quickly, like with your mentioning of training healthcare professionals, it, it really has been an amazing time. And you read church history and you read about you know, pandemics in the past or plagues and things like this. And I have been deeply moved by our, our medical professionals that are sacrificing here, but also, um, you know, sad to say, uh, quite a few priests in Italy died basically ministering uh, during their last days to those who are sick. And so, you know, a lot to pray for and people to be grateful for these days. No, that's absolutely true. Pray for your family. Pray, of course, uh, for a cure, but like you said, those people on the front lines, both like body and spirit, the medical workers, and then the priests ministering to those uh, who who are, uh, you know, not well, all of us in these difficult times, but specifically for those who are suffering from this disease. Um, as Bud alluded to, we're going to have on one of my uh, a very longtime friend of mine, uh, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, who is an artist. Uh, her, you can actually check out her work at Gwyneth, GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. It's Gwyneth, like uh, G-W-Y-N-E-T-H, GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. Um, there's all sorts of things to say about her. She actually had a, a painting that she had uh, that she did for uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. So uh, that, that's uh, on its own absolutely cool. And uh, we're going to talk to her about the importance of sacred, heart, uh, sacred art in times like these. So this is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around. We'll be back with Gwyneth Thompson-Briggs right after this. We're back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mard, coming to you from outside the Mercy One Live Up Studios this Wednesday for the Uncommon Good. Thank you for joining the show once more. Our guest today, Today is a longtime friend of mine, uh, Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. Uh, I've known Gwyneth uh, because of Our Lady of the Annunciation uh, Monastery down in Clear Creek. And then from then on, we've actually been uh, friends doing uh, just keeping in touch, but also, for instance, doing things like working on a children's book together. Uh, that's a whole side project that we'll have to tell everyone about. 
at some other time. Gwyneth is an artist. Well, first of all, I want to point out that not only is she an artist, but she has a, a master's degree in engineering systems uh, in Colorado School of Mines. So uh, she can uh, bury Bud and I math-wise uh, if we wanted to have a math contest on air. And then besides that, an extremely accomplished artist, her website, GwynethThompsonBriggs.com, uh, shows you a lot of this. But uh, the, the thing out of the gate that I just want to point out to people is you go to GwynethThompsonBriggs.com, the about page, and right at the top, what do you have? But Pope Imranus Benedict XVI receiving uh, Gwyneth's version of St. Augustine. Uh, so uh, she, she knows what she's doing and her art is beautiful. Gwyneth, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Happy feast day. The feast of the Annunciation. I figure not, what a better day to actually talk about, uh, the, the role of beauty, uh, especially with what we're dealing with today. So I guess out of the gate, I'll, I'll ask you that is there's in, are there any artworks of the Annunciation, uh, that you would recommend maybe uh, to our, our, our listeners uh, to go look up uh, in honor of the feast? Well, um, once uh, once this crisis has abated, I would say, don't just look it up, but go visit to the Monastery of San Marco in Florence, and uh, and there you will see um, my favorite Annunciation um, by uh, Blessed Fra Angelico. Um, I'm not sure, uh, but I, I think it probably helped that he's... Um, a blessed and uh, painted the uh, just this wonderful, wonderful um, reflection of of uh, Gabriel and Our Lady. Now, Gwyneth, don't you think there's something when it comes to uh, the the fact of the importance of sacred art in the Christian tradition? Um, I, I'm not going to say this as well as I think you might be able to, but it's sort of the fact of the Virgin Mary herself sort of begs for the artistic representation and flourishing that occurred uh, in, in Christianity. Of course, Jesus Christ, by be, you know, God becoming man, uh, as, as the theological uh, arguments have shown throughout time, has sort of uh, proven that God wants to be sort of rendered to the human eye, if you were, right? The incarnation proves that God doesn't want to remain forever behind uh, an invisible cloud. He's reached out to us so that he, we can be tangible, that he can be a part of our sensory life. Um, but there's something particularly about the Virgin Mary in her life, that she uh, was visited by Gabriel and, on the feast today, that she carried Christ in her womb, um, held, held him at her breast, uh, lived it life with him, and then held him at the Pieta. I, I know that that's a, a stark claim, but it seems to me that there's something about the Virgin herself that really spurred uh, the Christian imagination uh, into the, the deep artistic tradition that we have. Yeah, I think absolutely, and you have not only um, Our Lady herself, who just is beauty, uh, but she, uh, everything that seems to flow from her is beautiful as well, and that draws souls to Christ. Um, and um, there's, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about the importance of the Incarnation and our, our physical experience of the beauty of, of art and also the created world. Um, especially now when it seems like um, we're compelled to, to live a virtual life more and more each day, um, going online to see images, to get news, to connect with others. And I, I realize, wow, you know, when you extract um, those physical experiences of being with a loved one or seeing a work of art in person or, um, you know, just uh, being near plants as they're growing, you know, 
um, there is no replacement for that physical experience. You know, we're made body and soul. So, <clears throat> uh, Gwyneth, this is Bud Marr. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I know this is kind of a, it's almost kind of a proof text to go to when talking about Christian art, uh, where um, the, the woman anoints uh, Christ with this expensive nard. And yes. Judas, of, of course, says, like, couldn't this have been sold and the money donated to the poor? And I, I think uh, Christian theologians have always taken that as um, as a sign that for us, uh, for our communities, there's something um, to be said about, quote unquote, like wasting money on the beautiful and on what needs to be adored. Could you talk some about your own journey as an artist and maybe living in this culture, how you've, you know, like, we, I feel like we live in a very, like, hard-nosed, pragmatic culture where, you know, money needs to go to things that uh, really help people. And that's, that's very, you know, like practical. Um, just maybe like a, a theology of art and how you've thought about your own vocation as an artist. Yeah. Well, I'd say, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, as, um, as Bo mentioned, I, um, I was an engineer for a while and was, uh, was very unhappy because that was not my vocation. So I retired and, um, you know, the, the compensation and worldly respect for an artist is, is really nothing like, uh, the, what you would receive as an engineer. People are always impressed by math for some reason. <laughs> and so, um, so in my own life, I've really realized money isn't everything and there's so much compensation, uh, that's due to just being able to do what you love and what inspires you and having the, the time to do it. But also, too, um, uh, even though I'm living in a lower tax bracket now, you know, I, I'm experiencing so much more beauty, frankly, rather than going to a cubicle. And um, living here in St. Louis, you know, this is a pretty rough city, and there's a lot of parts of the city where I think about um, families, um, and especially children, that go through day-to-day life without um, a lot of... Um, beauty or luxury or anything. Um, and so when I create artwork, especially for churches, I think, gosh, on Sundays, this may be the one experience of um, beauty that these kids are going to experience. And um, um, and so I think it's, in a way, it's for the poor more than for anyone else that, that needs this um, consolation of beauty and this uplifting sight on um, the, the true end goals of our lives. But, um, no, Gwyneth, also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, you know, one of the hardest things for me is, is pricing <laughs> for, for works of art. And, you know, you think, think like, gosh, why would I spend thousands of dollars for a painting when I could just get a print for, you know, 50 bucks or something? And, um, and one of the aspects of that um, that I think people aren't aware of is the actual craft and tradition that goes into the design and execution of a work of art. And so um, recently I founded uh, a directory online called the Catholic Artists Directory um, And that's a way of really learning about all of the working and living artists today who are trying to cultivate and continue traditions of art that um, would be lost within a generation or two if they're not passed down. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. Um, yes, I, I, I think it's imperative for people to understand this connection between beauty and justice. And it's not simply because I have plenty of artist friends and uh, family members. I have my 
my aunt, uh, Rebecca Mantrick, she does stuff. Of course, Gwyneth, you uh, have stuff that people need to go check out. Um, my, I'm, I'm just naming off a few people. Andrew Wilson Smith, a personal, personal friend of mine who uh, does the statuary and things like this. Um, it's not just a matter of, oh, well, like I want justice for my friends, although that's absolutely the truth. And I think people need to be more um, specific about that. There's also just the justice of what we owe towards beauty itself, as it were. There's a, a secular artist, uh, excuse me, um, author named Elizabeth Scarry, who wrote a book called On Beauty and then has a, an essay in there called On Beauty and Justice. And even from a secular point of view, she really starts to argue this, that this has been completely lost for utilitarian reasons. And this idea of just, we can print stuff off, we can make sort of like Andy Warhol prints of whatever was made famous, uh, you know, a few years ago, or even timeless classics, and then that's good enough. He's, the, the argument she makes, but then I think if the theological one is even stronger, is that people forget that the poor are not somehow less human than the rich. And the idea that only people who have wealth or free time uh, mm -hmm. deserve beauty is a horrible offense to the yeah. poor. And uh, I, I've always lauded, uh, I, I thought of, I had this class when I was in the Diocese of Wichita. Um, Wichita spent all this money to redo their cathedral, and it's actually very beautiful. And people, you would occasionally hear, like, why would you spend money? Very much the Judas thing, like Bud pointed out. Why would you spend money renovating this cathedral? And we always pointed out, well, what you need to do is go on the steps of the cathedral, literally turn around and look what's across the street. And it was the Lord's diner where they fed people three times a day. And people mm -hmm. pointed out like those people who would go into the Lord's diner are not allowed in any living room that has a, you know, a, a personal painting. But if they went into the cathedral, that was high art that most people acted like wasn't for them. But to think that is to straight be abusive uh, towards the poor to act like that they don't have a need for beauty as well. And so I, I think when people might ask, like, why would you have someone come on and talk about sacred art and beauty on a podcast about the common good? Uh, one of the things we are lacking profoundly in a common way is common beauty. And when you line mm -hmm. up cities, when you line up spaces for people based on efficiency or, uh, you know, what's cool or what's hip, uh, as the kids say, <laughs> what you're really going to miss out on is this public demand for justice of the beautiful, uh, not only for the beauty itself, uh, but specifically for the people who, like you said, don't get beauty anywhere else because we've sort of acted like it's the province of just a few people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's also this strange relationship that I, I don't fully understand, but I, I realize it's there between um, suffering and beauty and sacrifice and beauty. And so it makes sense that um, you can't just, you know, easily procure something beautiful. Like there, you either have to make um, a financial sacrifice uh, to obtain it, or you need to go through a lot of training in order to, to execute it. Um, and so, uh, so just like anything worthwhile, you know, there is this sacrifice involved. Uh, Bo, uh, Gwyneth, I would reiterate Bo's um, recommendation to our listeners to certainly visit your website, uh, GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. Uh, and I, just being there and looking at some of the paintings, uh, I was really moved by some of these images, but, but curious as well. Uh, I know like um, that I would say like in the Catholic world, it's fair to say that it's been kind of 
a rough patch in some ways for art because I think some artists have had a difficult time like um, transmitting the tradition in a, in, a, mm-hmm. in a modern context. In modernity, there's elements of the culture and of like artistic assumptions that maybe cut against the grain of our tradition. Mm-hmm. And you you blend a lot of like traditional themes with, well, I'm not, I'm not sure what, you know, like how you would describe your style of art, but could you talk about the influences on your painting and how you think about the relationship between tradition, but also presenting that in a way that, you know, modern people can grab a hold of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my uh, my formal training was primarily with a, a school called it's called the Boston School of Art, which um, the most uh, maybe the most famous artist one might know from that period would be John Singer Sargent, um, where it's really all about rendering the beauty of how light hits an object in the natural world. So there's nothing uh, inherently supernatural about that tradition, but um, that technique then sort of got combined with, um, I have such a love for works from the Renaissance and the Baroque. Um, there is very little training uh, from that, that period of art and those techniques. So a lot of my training, I guess, in that area has just been doing a lot of reading uh, from texts and just trying to do my best to do copies from museums. But uh, it's been so difficult to find um, training and especially for composing larger works that have multiple figures or supernatural lighting effects. Um, You know, a lot of artists turn to uh, Photoshop almost exclusively and work from photos, but um, I firmly believe that um, if you use traditional approaches of studying models from life and actual physical draperies, things like that, you get a much, much different effect. Um, I always think, uh, you know, I might not end up being that good, but at least I can discover a lot of techniques that I can pass on to the next generation of artists at a much younger age, and they can bring um, the skill level up to a much higher technique. Um, I always think about, in the tradition of sacred music, um, some of the most wonderful musicians were all steeped in uh, Gregorian chant. And that, I think, is is an essential clue that we need to be steeped in the traditional forms of art before we should set about uh, creating anything um, original or contemporary. So um, there needs to be a certain level of humility on the part of the artist to sort of go through a very long apprenticeship um, with um, other living masters and um, masters who have died hundreds of years before us. No, Gwyneth, on that that point, I think uh, th- this is maybe more art history, but it gets to this bigger idea about the sort of community uh, aspect of art. Uh, even someone like uh, Picasso, who I am not a fan of really in any sort of way, if you look at all of his early paintings, though, the man learned uh, the sort of school of, of of previous art you can see in his early paintings that he he painted stuff that would he wouldn't be noticed for later like the cubism and things like this and so in the modern world there really does seem to be this the problem of revolutionary sons is what i always say the revolutionaries whether it be in political philosophy music art they were steeped in the masters so when they did something really new and revolutionary um, I'm not saying that like what they did was necessarily warranted or whatever it is, but they were proficient masters who could usually pull off 
the crazy stuff they were doing precisely mm -hmm. because they were standing, quote unquote, on the shoulder of giants. The problem is, is a lot of people after these revolutionary figures, they'll cut off the vine that made them. And then everybody else is trying to be just as revolutionary as the people who came afterwards. And quite frankly, they're just bad. Like they, they've not they've not learned what's gone before. And so it's really difficult for them to truly make the thing as revolutionary as they think it is. It just becomes mawkish or childish or just, uh, you know, all, all of the things that, uh, that, that go wrong, not only with painting and music, but political orders and philosophy. And so I think that speaks, like you said, to once more the sort of social element of art and the common good. If there is not a shared uh, tradition to be steeped in, like you're saying, uh, there really can't be any innovation. And that sort of paradox, uh, probably a lot of people sort of miss that um, if, if they don't take the time to to read a little further. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, our society in general is is doesn't quite understand the idea of that um, if, if you live according to um, rules and apparent restrictions, you actually um, have more freedom. <laughs> um, and um, I find in the, the sense of creative freedom, you know, I, I went to a contemporary art college um, uh, before I received my real training, I think, and uh, and really, there was this pressure that every day you had to do something original and different. And you know, talk about um, creative block. You know, you sit there in front of a piece of paper, and somebody says, "Draw anything." Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's really hard <laughs> to come up with. But if somebody gives you a piece of paper and says, "Now, I want you to draw," you know, um, um, a dragon with uh, with fire coming out of its mouth and wings. There's an infinite number of dragons you could draw, but suddenly within these restrictions, uh, creativity is spurred. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that within these traditional forms, there's there's actually uh, a much greater possibility for creative fruitfulness and beauty. Well, Gwyneth, this has been great so far. We're going to go to break. So uh, stick around because after we get back from the great the break, more from Gwyneth Thompson-Briggs. This is the Uncommon Good Bob Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. We'll be back right after this. We're back with the Uncommon Good Bob Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. This Wednesday broadcasting from outside the Mercy One Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. You can listen to us on all of our radio affiliate stations. You can listen online, <laughs> iowacatholicradio.com. But then, of course, especially in this time uh, when you might not be driving around in your car as much, remember that you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app and listen uh, wherever you have Internet or data connections. Iowa Catholic Radio, the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Today on the show, we are uh, talking with uh, my good friend Gwyneth Thompson-Briggs, artist uh, extraordinaire you can go look at her work at gwyneththompsonbriggs.com and as i always point out like which gwyneth is it g-w-y-n-e-t-h and then thompson briggs with two g's with thompson briggs gwyneth thanks for joining the show again thanks for having me back so uh one of the things we were talking about the last part before the break was the sort of justice element in beauty that for instance the poor by justice deserve beauty that it's not just the province of a special few 
since we're all body and soul, uh, we deserve that our souls are stimulated in art as this wonderful, wonderful reflection of the incarnational reality of Jesus Christ, because art truly is a place where the physical world and the spiritual world meet. It is tailor-made, as it were, for the human person to become uh, fully themselves. Now, we, we lighted on uh, many of the sort of difficulties that sacred art and art done well have faced in the modern world, not only when how artists get trained or just how society is set up, but this can seem like too big of a problem. Uh, do, does one of us have to become, you know, the ruler of our nation and, and uh, in order to, you know, really kickstart patronage of the arts again? Do we have to earn a lot of money in order to be able to, you know, get a revival of art going on? But Gwyneth, I thought you've always done a good job of talking to people about the small, local, particular ways that we can start uh, threading beauty back into our own family life and that it's going to take certain grassroots elements like this before we can uh, hope for a society that understands the role of art in its public manner. Uh, so for, for the listeners out there, what are ways if, if, they're, if they're feeling compelled by what they're hearing uh, talking to, to you today, what are things that they can personally do uh, to start threading this public role of beauty into their own lives? Yeah, well, I think it needs to start with um, a, a bit of a meditation on the fact that there's um, nothing is too good for God. And that, um, it, you know, we were talking about justice to our fellow man and providing beauty to the least of us, but also in justice to God, um, you know, he gives us so many blessings Um the least we can do is is um, return some of the gifts that he's given uh, given us. And I always think about um, on altars, uh, whenever I see artificial flowers, I think, gosh, what a shame. God gave us real flowers, and we're giving him these plastic things back. <laughs> it just seems like um, that's one of the worst injustices. So, um, so starting, yeah, just with um, even flowers, I mean, I think uh, no matter what your home altar looks like, um, you can uh, make it a point to make it symmetrical and tidy and uh, uh, have real candles and have real flowers. And it can become an important place of the center for your family's prayer. And um, I've been thinking a lot about what to do during Holy Week. I mean, it sounds like for people across the nation, we might not be able to attend the Triduum. And so um, for all of us, but especially for those of us with small children, you know, um, uh, how do we make um, the experience of the Triduum uh, tangible? Um, Have you thought about that with your own family? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I've been worried about uh, that as well. And in many ways, uh, we we just last week, uh, this last Sunday, sort of tumbled into figuring out uh, you know, what we're going to do. But uh, it's one thing to go, oh, and, and very grateful to the priests that do things like you said, like live stream and things like this. Uh, but there's still something that is missing if that's not done within our own homes. And so mm-hmm. uh, being a Benedictine Oblate, you know, I, we, we've, I've thrown in aspects of uh, the office with, with the monks. Uh, we've really uh, battened down the hatches and started doing uh novenas particularly to saints the novena leaning up to uh the annunciation today for instance um but i think that if, if coming up we're gonna have to like you said become resourceful about how at our home alters what are we going to try to do 
but I, I think an easy one is like you're pointing out about uh, darkness and light. Um, most of us have some candles. I, I know 2020 is the future, but I think all of us have a <laughs> candle or two. And maybe something with children is as simple as turning out all the lights in your house and then lighting the one candle and having everybody, you know, light their candles from the one source. Um, that's really powerful. Of course, if uh, I'm a convert, so I, I very much remember doing that the first night uh, that I converted on the, the midnight mass for Easter. But that seems like something that we can all do at our homes, like you say, to make the true to a mass tangible. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've got a, I've got a couple of toddlers myself and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, the, the experience that they'll have when, uh, you know, usually on Passion Sunday, we, we cover all of the religious art in our home with, um, with veils and um, just as they, as they do in the churches. And um, our home altar is, is pretty much uh, there. It's very austere. And then on Holy Thursday, I, I'd like to make sort of a, a, a memorial, our altar of repose in a little corner of our, of our house somewhere where we can take turns making a bit of a, a visit. And then, um, you know, I think especially for small children, that change of, you know, decorating the altar from it being pretty much bare on Easter Sunday is, is a wonderful surprise. Um, on on Good Friday, I might recommend um, uh, parents have their children uh, color stations of the cross and then post them around the house or outside and then make a family walking from station to station. Um, I did that as a kid um, uh, in the woods behind our house, and it was it was really um, a, a, a beautiful way to connect that's, um, you know, a little bit different experience than if you've only gone to the stations of the cross within a church. Yeah, I'm. I've just a quick comment. I've, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, for myself, honestly, if we could have avoided all these circumstances, of course we would have. Uh, I still think, as you you both were talking, that uh, I hope this is an opportunity for Catholics to, um, like, I guess, hunger in a way for the Eucharist again. I've yeah. I've been thinking of the words of, um, um, I believe it's Mary Magdalene, maybe Martha, at the end of one of the Gospels, where she says, like, "Where have they taken my Lord?" And with all this talk about beauty and the way that the liturgy shapes our lives, um, it has been, you know, a, a real chasm in our family's life the last few weeks. And it calls to mind, um, Gwyneth, I, I know there's a quote, it's attributed to Dostoevsky. I don't know if he used these exact words, but he said, um, in effect, that beauty will save the world. And I yeah. think as Catholics, you know, like St. Thomas Aquinas talked about the transcendentals and he said, goodness, truth, and beauty. And when we think about apologetics, sometimes we, we get the goodness part, like, oh, like we're calling folks to a different kind of like way of living in the world. And, and the truth part, like these are the doctrines or the pillars of our faith. But sometimes, I don't know, like in apologetics, especially beauty doesn't in, enter in, into it so much. And I guess, you know, you and Bo are friends. I'm less familiar with like your um, journey of faith. Uh, could you maybe talk some about how beauty um, even drew you closer to God or deeper into the faith? Yeah, um, I mean, I, w I was I was very blessed to be raised Catholic, and um, actually, uh, even within the, the traditional mass, I, I didn't attend a mass in English till I was in college, <laughs> and so um, yeah, I I feel like I always kind of you know grew up as a as a homeschooler, immersed in the traditional mass, like um, uh, looking on 
society a little bit from the outside and feeling a bit closer um, through looking at the church throughout history and throughout time. And um, I've always just felt drawn to uh, things of beauty. And this is something that I've contemplated a lot, uh, you know, in raising my own children. But also, um, meeting my husband, he was very much drawn to the faith uh, through beauty. And um, so I, I've, I think that different people seem to be called um, through different ways to Christ. And for some, it is through logical argument. For others, it's the beauty of charity. But for others, um, it's this, this sort of like mystical attraction to authentic beauty. And, um, and, you know, we think, we're, I know a lot of people are told, oh, in the Middle Ages, we had to have uh, stained glass windows and all of this uh, decoration in the, the Gothic cathedrals for all of the people who are illiterate. Well, we forget that there's still a lot of illiterate people in churches today, and that's pretty much everyone under the age of seven. Um, so um, for those young souls that are um, especially drawn to Christ through beauty, I think we, we owe it to them, um, particularly to um, to make our spaces as beautiful as possible, you know, before they even reach that level of being able to rationally enter into um, um the 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 truth of the faith now gwyneth uh, just to like make a shout out about you know you pointed out that you were a homeschooler and everybody's kind of homeschooling right now whether they want to or not uh, i just yeah. want to point out this the true renaissance woman that uh, you are to show that like homeschoolers you know they wrongly get pigeonholed not only were you an engineer and not only now um you know are you an artist but one of my favorite uh, uh pictures i ever uh, videos i've ever seen of you is uh we were down for uh one of the 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 festivals down at clear creek and somehow you ended up on someone's farm throwing an axe that was maybe like <laughs> a quarter to a half your size like not to not to put you on the uh, spot too much but you're 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 a rather small person and this axe was <laughs> impressively you uh you threw the axe really well so everybody out there worried about you know am i if i homeschool my kid is it gonna you know pigeonhole them no like we're, we're talking right now to uh, an engineer, an artist, and a, a supreme axe thrower. So uh, everybody's going to be good. Uh, uh, no, but I, I, look, be I fair, it, it was a hatchet. <laughs> oh, it was a hatchet. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I was making it sound a little cooler, I'll admit. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, I think it's really important to point out to people exactly what you said. Um, <laughs> I, I like making this point a, a lot of time with children uh, in, in other arguments where people will go like, well, you know, if, for instance, like, well, what are we going to do if people can't work or won't work or things like this? And so I'll start talking about like, there's this huge group of people that we, we don't make work at all. And that we, we put aside an entire aspect of their life just to sit around in, in a building all day and not work. And people are like, well, who is this? And you're like, well, it's school children, right? Like we, we, <laughs> you could make your children work in factories, but you actually send them to school because there's this greater good. Well, it starts to be the same way. Children under seven, like you said, are quote unquote illiterate. I think there's a lot of adults who can read, but are something more like illiterate. You know, they're not the reading type. And there's plenty of people who have, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of disabilities, maybe who don't end up reading. Uh, and all of us eventually will probably get to if we are blessed with long life. Uh, you know, the, the time where reading or even just sort of logical processes aren't sort of like firing on all the cylinders that they used to. And and so. It, it, it people forget it seems 
that even if it were the case that a sort of like quick minded, witty 30 year old doesn't need beauty, which is absolutely not the truth. But even if that were true, we're surrounded by people in which the beauty of the thing is what transmits, like Bud was saying, those transcendentals. This is absolutely true in the church, but this is true, like what, what's true about God sort of overflows and spills out to human life in general. If we're not willing to think about that, about how beauty itself is uniquely human, the unique meeting up of the physical and the spiritual, so that through a physical sensation, we can consider spiritual things. Uh, we've depraved ourselves uh, of something that makes us human. Uh, and I think you're, this goes back one more time to, to something we're harping on, is if we don't feel like that's worth spending money on, uh, what does that say about us? And, you know, all artists have to deal with that if they're trying to make a living on their art. Um, but Gwyneth, when you've had the chance to try to convince people of this, um, you know, how do we, how do you try to sidestep this sort of idea of value uh, or, well, or maybe give a yeah. new sort of perspective to what we mean? I think one of the, the big challenges today is that, uh, you know, there's all this talk, especially in Catholic liberal arts colleges of the true, the good, the beautiful, but then great. We can talk about beauty in the abstract, but what does that mean? Um, as Americans, I think that there's still certain puritanical uh, strains that say, well, you know, beauty is good, but maybe not too much because then we'll enter into the world of, of decadence or luxury. And um, I think a lot of people uh, remain at maybe a childlike understanding of, of, um, of, of art and their aesthetic uh, is perhaps a bit tainted with um, a lot of popular images from the last um, hundred years that are maybe a bit kitsch or saccharine. And so, um, uh, you know, sometimes I'll be approached for a commission where someone says, you know, I really want this, um, uh, this, uh, a copy of this painting. And I just, oh, it's, it's really hard if it's, if it's in really bad taste to begin with. And then um, they'd like a personal copy of it, you know, I, I never quite know how to break it to them, but, um, <laughs> and, um, and when my, uh, we were teaching, uh, my husband and I were teaching a lot of freshmen at the Thomas More College of Liberal Arts, um, for the past few years, and they came from so many different backgrounds. You know, some kids had never been into, um, a museum before or an art museum. And so, um, there are certain forms, especially within the Christian tradition of art um, that might look unusual to our eyes, but I think we need to take some risks and give it a chance and say, well, let's look at some Gothic art or let's look at Mannerist or Baroque and not have narrow preconceptions of what a picture of Mary or St. Joseph has to look like. Um, so I think that um, one of the, the many things that, um, that, uh, Catholics should feel obliged to do is not only to have an informed conscience, but an informed aesthetic, and to um, to take that on as something serious and uh, necessary. Gwyneth, we just have a couple minutes left, but I wanted to get to um, one of your specific pieces. Again, for our listeners, GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. And uh, as Bo mentioned at the start of the show, 
you were commissioned to um, paint a piece as a gift for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And it's this yeah. beautiful rendering of St. Augustine at study. Could you tell us some of the background of that piece and uh, what inspired you, maybe what you used uh, in, in preparation for research to, to paint the piece? Yeah, um, this was a very last-minute piece. Uh, the, the, a priest that I, I knew was on his way to have an audience with the Pope, and he was he needed it in just a couple of weeks. And I said, well, there's no way to do an oil painting. It won't dry. So I tried to do a very fast watercolor and get it framed and shipped and made it just in time. Um, but I still wanted to do uh, the best job I could. So I, I contacted the local diocese and was able to purchase or to borrow an actual bishop's uh, miter and jeweled gloves. And then I asked my parish priest if I could borrow a cope. I found a model and then I also found um, an Augustinian monk who was willing to lend me a habit. Um, if you look at paintings of St. Augustine historically, he's often depicted in an Augustinian habit and then with the accessories of, of a bishop. Um, the reason St. Augustine was chosen was because um, uh, the, the priest who was visiting Pope Benedict knows that he is um, uh, a great lover of Augustinian spirituality. And um, in, within this image, I have the hand of St. Augustine sort of clutching his, uh, a glow, his glowing heart, um, reminding us of um, our hearts will be restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Um, probably one of the most famous um, excerpts from the Confessions. Um, and, uh, and not to, well, I guess to change the subject, but I just wanted to mention very quickly, since we are almost out of time, do, do I have just a moment? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Um, I, I just wanted to say that I've been really, uh, there's just such a moment of um, hopefulness looking at uh, Pope uh, Francis when he visited very recently a couple of of works of sacred art in Rome, the Maria Salus Populi Romani and um, the crucifix in the church of San Marcello on the Corso. Um, both of these works were processed in the streets of Rome to um, end plagues. Um, the first in 593 and the second in 1522. And so I I would love to ask your listeners to pray for sacred artists and that if if God wants to use one of them to create a, an, a, an, a special image for this time, um, I think that um, both Rome and the world uh, could benefit greatly. No, Gwyneth, I think that's great. Real quick, so your website and then the artist uh, website, if you don't mind saying those for everybody. Sure. Uh, my website is GwynethThompsonBriggs.com. Um, and the artist website uh, for uh, for artists in all different disciplines, whether it's liturgical arts or very soon architecture um, uh, and uh, illumination, uh, is the Catholic, it's just CatholicArtistsDirectory.com. Gwyneth, uh, the work you're doing, like both artistically is beautiful. The work you're doing on the website and the art artist directory is beautiful. Uh, and all of this is uh, wonderful and it's an honor and it's great to finally have you on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again. Thank you for coming on the show, Gwyneth. Thank you so much. God bless. Folks, that's our show. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our family, our city, our state, our nation, the entire world, the solar system, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week.
The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good. <laughs>